The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Kings chapter 14. 1 Kings chapter 14. We'll hopefully be able to get through the whole chapter tonight. And it gives us the description of two kings coming to an end of their reign and life. The two kings are named Jeroboam and Rehoboam. And you'll remember them by way of review. We're talking about the nation of Israel, and we're tracking through the kings that reigned during their history. And of course, Saul was the first king. You remember Samuel anointed him. He was the first king of the nation of Israel. He sinned against the Lord, and the Lord tore the kingdom away from Saul and gave it to a man named David, a man after God's own heart. David reigned for many years and really became a great, great king for the nation. Not a perfect man, but a good king and a heart that often returned to the Lord, worshiped the Lord, and was faithful to the Lord. He passed and gave the kingdom to his son Solomon. Solomon started so well, asking in the Lord for wisdom to rule his people. God entrusted wisdom, but much more than wisdom, Solomon enjoyed great wealth and prosperity, and the nation really came to its height and glory. But in the latter years of Solomon's reign, his heart turned away from the Lord. He married many foreign wives, and they brought their pagan worship into the nation. Solomon's heart drew away and began to participate in that false worship And the Lord sent a word of judgment that he would tear the kingdom away from Solomon and give it to a man named Jeroboam. The Lord came to Jeroboam and said, I'm taking the kingdom away from Solomon because of his sin and turning away from me. I'm going to give the kingdom to you, but not the whole kingdom. Ten of the tribes I will give to you, but I will preserve a portion for David's sake I will give a portion of the kingdom, which ended up being Judah and Benjamin, that stayed in David's lineage, Solomon's son, by the name of Rehoboam. And those two, the kingdom then divided. You remember the story how, you know, Rehoboam kind of answered harshly to the nation, so they said, we're going to divide. Jeroboam became the king of the ten tribes, which becomes known as Israel, as we track forward in our study Rehoboam remained king of the southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, which is where Jerusalem was, and that becomes known as Judah. So as we look through now, we're going to see king of Israel, a king of Judah. It's all Israel, but it's a divided Israel, the larger portion being remaining Israel, the smaller portion becoming known as Judah. And we're tracking those kings now through the rest of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, and it will bounce back and forth from kingdom to kingdom, each uh, reign being discussed along through the history. Jeroboam, he is, of course, the king of the southern, excuse me, the northern tribes known as Israel. Well, even though the Lord promised that he would give the kingdom to him, as soon as he received the kingdom, he tried to sustain it and hold on to it in his own strength. He didn't trust the Lord. He didn't depend on the Lord. He didn't really believe the word of the Lord. He thought that he would have to manage the kingdom to keep the loyalty. So for political expediency, 
He didn't want the, the people from his uh, kingdom going down back into Jerusalem, the worship capital. He thought if they go back to Jerusalem, their loyalty will go back to Judah and I'll be out of a kingdom. He didn't trust the Lord. So he set up false places of worship up throughout the northern kingdom, many altars, many places of worship. He, he set up golden calves and he just, he, he anointed priests who were not of the Levites or of the prescribed priesthood that God had established. He just started his own religion in order to keep the loyalty of his people to him and not having to go down into Jerusalem and lose his, his kingdom. He didn't trust the Lord. The Lord sent prophets. You'll remember last time we were in chapter 13. The Lord sent an unnamed prophet as uh, Jeroboam was there uh, worshiping at this false altar, the prophets came and said, You're gonna, this altar is going to be destroyed and the ashes are going to pour forth. And Jeroboam said, arrest that man. And as he put his hand out, his hand became completely leprous. And, and, and he said, pray for me, pray for me. And the man prayed and he was healed. And so we see that God is already trying to warn Jeroboam, trying to get him to repent. But we saw there at the latter part of chapter 13, we'll let this serve as kind of our introduction going into chapter 14. After this event, verse 33, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. But again, he made priests from every class of people for the high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him and he became one of the priests of the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam, so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. So uh, serious was this sin that God is going to actually remove Jeroboam and his lineage from the earth. He's trying to hold on to the kingdom by rebelling against God, and God is actually going to take not only the kingdom, but, it, but destroy his lineage. Chapter 14, pick it up with me. And the first focus is the continuing judgment on the house of Jeroboam. Verse 1, at that time, Abijah, the son of Jeroboam, became sick. Now his son has become ill. And Jeroboam said to his wife, please arise and disguise yourself that they may not recognize you as the wife of Jeroboam and go to Shiloh indeed. Ahijah the prophet is there who told me that I would be king over this people. Also take with you 10 loaves, some cakes and a jar of honey and go to him. He will tell you what will become of the child. So here's the setting. Jeroboam is living against the will of the Lord. He's rebelling against God, but now his son is deathly ill. And now he wants to find out what's going to happen to his son. Isn't it interesting how spiritual we can become in a moment of crisis? And now he knows all these false idols, all these golden calves, all his false worship has no answer for him now. Now he knows where he needs to go. I've got to go back to a true prophet of the Lord, the one who told me that I would in fact be the king of these 10 tribes. Now, honey, disguise yourself and go down there and bring some offering and then ask him what will become of our son. It's unfortunate that it takes sometimes crisis to get the spiritual attention of our lives, but it's true, I think, even for many of us. Some of my most sincere 
and fervent prayers have come in times of crisis. When things are going okay, I'm praying okay, but I'm not really pressing. But boy, when there's trouble, when there's crisis, when there's an emergency, boy, I'm on my knees and I'm crying out and I'm praying and seeking the Lord. Now, it's good to seek the Lord in time of crisis. Nothing wrong with turning to the Lord in time of need. The Bible encourages that. But we won't, don't want it to become something where we seek the Lord only in crisis, only when there's an emergency. You see, our seeking the Lord in emergency needs to come out of a life that is already developed in a relationship of prayer and dependence on the Lord. Maybe it will be a more intense time. Maybe it will be a more intense seeking, but it's not coming from a, a heart that's strange to the Lord. It's coming from a heart that is already walking in relationship with the Lord. But Jeroboam, he's crying out now, even though his heart has been apart, has, has been uh, you know, against the Lord. And there is something of a spiritual deception here that I see in Jeroboam's life. He's imagining that somehow, if his wife will dress in disguise, the prophet maybe won't know or recognize that that's Jeroboam's wife. I mean, I want you to go and ask the prophet of the Lord who has divine insight but disguise yourself because we can trick him into giving us this information, not knowing that you're my wife. You see the deception, the kind of the, the, uh, the, the two sides of this. He imagines that he can still manipulate this situation. This has kind of become his way. He doesn't trust the Lord. He needs the Lord. He wants the Lord's help, but he doesn't want the Lord. He doesn't want that relationship with the Lord. And there's a deception that comes in. He thinks he can manage. He thinks he can manipulate things. This is what he's doing to hold on to the kingdom. He's doing what seems pragmatic for him. He's doing what makes sense in his mind. And now he's trying to also kind of work the Lord back into his program. You need to be careful you know, the Lord will bring you, into, you and I into situations and circumstance where none of our cunning and none of our wisdom, none of our, you know, strength and ability to kind of manipulate the circumstance will really bring a desired result. He will bring us to that place where we are completely dependent upon him. And it's the best place sometimes to be, and the heart just needs to say, Lord, help no pretense, no games. God, I just, I'm seeking your face right now. I need a miracle. I need your help. I need your grace. I need your mercy. That would have been a better approach. Wouldn't it have been Jeroboam to say, uh, listen, we've got to go and seek the prophet's wisdom. Maybe he'll hear from the Lord on our behalf. Go in there, be honest, be sincere. Let's repent. We know that we've sinned against the Lord, but I now our son's life is on the line. Is there anything we can do to come back to the Lord and receive his mercy? That would have been the proper response to this situation. But no, he's trying to work it and manipulate it. Look on, verse four. And Jeroboam's wife did so. She arose and went to Shiloh and came to the house of Ahijah. But Ahijah could not see, for his eyes were glazed by reason of his age. What a waste of a good disguise. You come to a blind man, right? Verse 5. Now the Lord had said to Ahijah, Here is the wife of Jeroboam. 
coming to ask you something about her son, for he is sick. So the Lord gives the prophet everything that's going on. Thus and thus you shall say to her, for it will be when she comes in that she will pretend to be another woman. And so it was when Ahijah heard the sound of her footsteps as she came through the door, he said, come in, wife of Jeroboam. Why do you pretend to be another person? For I have been sent to you with bad news. Uh-oh, <laughs> not a good greeting, right? You walk in, you think you're pulling this scam, and right away, the Lord calls you out. When you come out of the darkness and you come into the light, nothing is hidden. When you come to the Lord, listen, there's no game you can play with the Lord. There's no scam with the Lord. There's no pretending. You can't, you, you, you can't pretend to be sincere before the Lord when your heart has an ulterior motive. We can do that with one another, but you can't do it before God. God sees, God knows. The best policy with God is to be completely vulnerable and open and honest. She imagined that, that, that her husband sent her to see the prophet, but she finds out as she walks through the door, the prophet has been sent to her to deliver news. Verse seven, go tell Jeroboam, thus says the Lord God of Israel, because I exalted you from among the people and made you ruler over my people Israel. I'm the one, Jeroboam, that made you king and tore the kingdom away from the house of David and gave it to you. And yet you have not been as my servant David, who kept my commandments and who followed me with all his heart to do only what was right in my eyes. But you have done more evil than all who were before you. For you have gone and made for yourself other gods and molded images to provoke me to anger and have cast me behind your back. Therefore, behold, I will bring disaster on the house of Jeroboam and will cut off from Jeroboam every male in Israel, bond and free. I will take away the remnant of the house of Jeroboam as one takes away refuse until it is all gone, like taking out the trash. The dogs shall eat whoever belongs to Jeroboam and dies in the city, and the birds of the air shall eat whoever dies in the field, for the Lord has spoken. Boy, that is bad news, isn't it? The prophet speaks this word of judgment. He compares Jeroboam to the servant David. You've not followed me as my servant David did. Now, we know the life of David. We know that David had many ups and downs in his life. We know that there were seasons when David even lived outside the will of the Lord and even sinned and, and fell in a great way. Remember with Bathsheba when he committed adultery. David is not some model of perfection, and yet God is speaking about the heart. David's life, although it was tarnished, his heart always returned to the Lord. His heart never worshiped other gods. His heart was only loyal to one God. When he sinned, 
He ultimately repented in sincerity, got his heart right with God, received God's mercy and restored his relationship with God. And his heart never wavered in terms of worship and love and devotion. You never see David worshiping a false God. You never see David writing Psalms to anyone but the one true God. David's heart remained loyal even though his frailty as a man found weakness. And so God is speaking to this. Jeroboam, God, as if God were saying, I would not have expected you to walk in perfection, but I would have expected you to walk in repentance when it was needed, and I would have expected you to remain loyal in your worship to me. That would have been following after David. But instead, you've done more evil than all those before you. You have worshiped other gods. And he says something very interesting. The prophet says, you have cast me behind your back. This is a statement as if to say, Jeroboam, instead of coming to me and repenting, you've just cast me behind your back. In other words, taken me out of your view, put me behind you, silenced the voice of the Holy Spirit. You've resisted the conviction. You've ignored the prophets that I sent you, the unnamed prophet that I sent to you. This work that's even now come upon you with the illness of your son. You have just thrown all of that behind you. It speaks of a, of a stubborn, unrepented heart, a continuing in his own determined way. And boy, this is a stark difference between himself and David And this is a lesson for all of our hearts. When we sin, be quick to repent. Don't be stubborn. Don't be determined to do it and go your own way. Do not cast God behind your back, imagining that he's in the rearview mirror and behind you and you don't have to deal with him anymore. That's just what you're doing in your own mind and in your own heart. We all have to do with God. We will all stand before him. The Holy Spirit is ever with us and seeing and watching. We can never escape our accountability before God. It's it's our own delusion to think that we can just put him behind our back and never repent and just continue our stubborn way. No, repent and continue to walk in a relationship of love and worship to the Lord. Restore what was lost. Come back to God. Get your heart right. God is merciful. God will forgive. God will establish. God will cleanse. Just as David discovered, but Rehoboam, excuse me, Jeroboam was not that man. Verse 12, arise therefore, the prophet continues speaking to his wife. Arise therefore, go to your own house. And when your feet enter the city, the child shall die. And all Israel shall mourn for him and bury him. For he is the only one of Jeroboam who shall come to the grave. Because in him there is found something good toward the Lord God of Israel in the house of Jeroboam. Moreover, the Lord will raise up for himself a king over Israel who shall cut off the house of Jeroboam. This is the day. What even now? A phrase letting him know this is this is coming, it is going to surely come to pass. Verse 15, for the Lord will strike Israel as a reed is shaken in the water. 
He will uproot Israel from this good land which he gave to their fathers and will scatter them beyond the river because they have made their wooden images, provoking the Lord to anger. And he will give Israel up because of the sins of Jeroboam who sinned and who made Israel sin. Then Jeroboam's wife arose and departed and came to Tirzah. When she came to the threshold of the house, the child died. And they buried him, and all Israel mourned for him, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through his servant Ahijah the prophet. The prophet has been sent to deliver a message. Jeroboam thought he was sending his wife to the prophet, but in fact, God was sending the prophet to his wife to be delivered to him, to give him this word of judgment. And he gives it not only the short term, the child will die. He goes on, your house, your reign will be removed and Israel, the nation will eventually be uprooted and judged. This sin that you have introduced, Jeroboam, this rebellion that you have introduced into the nation, it's going to have a lasting judgment in your life, the life of your child, your life and lineage, and the nation in time. All of this will be, will cause me to have to uproot and pull you out from the land that I gave you. He says something interesting, though, there about the child. He says the child will die but he will have an honorable burial because something there has been in him found something good towards the Lord. What does this mean? How is this possible? The child is, we don't know how old the child is, a child, he's young, but something good, the child has had some occasion, some opportunity to find some favor in relationship with the Lord. Something good has been found in this child, and because of that, he's going to die and receive a honorable burial. The whole nation will mourn him. Unlike the rest of your lineage, who will die in judgment, who will be eaten by dogs and the birds of the air on the battlefield, your lineage, this is the only one of your house that I found anything good, and he's going to die and have this honorable burial. It's hard to understand what the Lord is up to. And to be honest, we don't know. It seems like if this child had found favor that maybe he would live, but instead he dies. Is it possible that this is actually the Lord's mercy being poured out on this young son? Rather than allowing him to grow up under the judgment of God through upon Jeroboam's family and lineage and nation, is it perhaps God's mercy to bring him to himself now, giving him this honorable uh, burial and also becoming a sign to his father and his mother, a sign that perhaps possibly they would be shaken and brought to repentance? We can't know. We can speculate, but truthfully, we don't know. And, and you know, it begs... It begs questions sometimes when we see things happen that we don't understand. Lord, why are you allowing this? Why is this young? When we had my wife and I, we just found out that a good friend of ours, someone that we had fellowshiped with for many, many years, their daughter, we watched watched her grow up 
in a, in a church that we attended many, many years ago. And uh, he's an assistant pastor now at another Calvary. And we just found out that his daughter, this young lady that we'd seen grow up, she passed away from breast cancer just on Christmas Eve, just in her early 30s, three young children. And we just, it's, Lord, why, how, how could this be good? And we don't understand. But the testimony of how she went on to be with the Lord and and how she actually saw an angel in her room just before, you know, the, just shortly before she passed, and the testimony of her strength and her spirit and her faith to her husband, her family. I don't know what kind of lineage that will, will produce. I don't know how God will use that in her children, in her husband, in her family. What kind of testimony? You see, God is orchestrating things from an eternal perspective. She's with the Lord in glory. She's rejoicing. She's gone home to be with him. But the family, of course, struggling with the loss, and, and there is a mourning, and there is a great loss, and it is deep. But yet, somehow, I believe in the life and family of believers, God works all things together for good. We're reminded sometimes that life, life is fleeting, that life is a vapor, you know, we just wish that we could, you know, kind of bend circumstances and life to our wishes and our wills right now for this life, that we could really have heaven now in some measure, that we could just get our circumstances to go as we think they should and as we think maybe God would want them to go. And then we're disappointed, we're, we're, we're confused when life just seems unfair, when things happen that we don't understand that don't seem to be right. And we have to surrender that to the Lord. We have to be reminded, we have to allow the Lord to kind of awaken us again and remind us, Lord, this is not my home. I'm just a pilgrim here. We're all going to be with the Lord someday. And you know, it will be sooner than you think. If he returns, it'll be really soon. But even if we live out a full life it will still come so quickly. And we can't try to understand all of that from this limited view and perspective that we have now. We have to hold on to faith. We have to hold on to what we know about God's character, what we know to be true about his love and his commitment to us. He sent his son. He sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins not so that we could live in this world forever, but that we could have eternal life with him in resurrected, glorified bodies forever. God has something bigger than this life planned. And these tur turns and these curves that come at us that we, we wrestle with, I, I think some of it is just to keep us eternally minded lest we get too comfortable, lest we really get it going all together in this life. And what happens then? Who needs the Lord? We got it going now. Man, this is, you know, working out everything I wanted. Be careful when everything is working out just the way you want. It doesn't last long. <laughs> but recognize that, that that's not what God is, 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 that's not really what God is after getting everything in this life just the way you and I want it. 
That's not what he's doing. I believe that God is working something even in Jeroboam's life. I believe that God is even at this late stage in Jeroboam's life, giving him an opportunity to repent. What if Jeroboam in this moment said, my God, what have I done? I repent. I'm turning my heart back. Tear down these altars. We're putting, put the word out through the nation. We're coming back to God. We're going to worship in Jerusalem, and we're going to let the kingdom go the way God wants it to go. I'm not going to cling to it. I'm not going to try and feel. I'm, I'm going to We don't see that. No, I think this was an opportunity. I think God was still wanting to save, still wanting to work, but Jeroboam's heart never turns. Verse 19. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam, how he made war and how he reigned, indeed, they are all written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. The period that Jeroboam reigned was 22 years, so he rested with his fathers. Then Nadab, his son, reigned in his place. The end of Jeroboam's reign, a judgment pronounced. Even though there would be opportunity to repent, he doesn't. And even at the death of his son, there's no sign of any change. I want to say it's never too late. It's never too late. A true heart, God will not turn away. A sincere heart, God will always welcome. But Jeroboam's legacy is a tragedy. Finish up with me here, verse 21, the second half of this chapter. So that's the king of Israel that we find out that first king of the divided kingdom of Israel. Now we come back, the, the camera pans back, the scene changes. We're back now in Judah, back looking at the other king who was Solomon's son, the first king of Judah after the divided kingdom, Rehoboam, verse 21. And Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, reigned in Judah. Rehoboam was 41 years old when he became king. He reigned 17 years in Jerusalem, the city which the Lord had chosen out of all the tribes of Israel to put his name there. His mother's name was Namah, an Ammonitess, would have been one of Solomon's foreign pagan worshiping wives. That was Rehoboam's mother. Verse 22, now Judah did evil in the sight of the Lord and they provo provoked him to jealousy with their sins, which they committed more than all that their fathers had done. For they also built for themselves high places, sacred pillars and wooden images on every high hill and uh, under every green tree. And there were also perverted persons in the land. They did according to all the abominations of the nations which the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So it's not going very well in the south either. This is where Jerusalem was. This is where the temple stood. This is where there was still a visible symbol of true worship of the true and living God. And yet Judah, they also built false worship and idol uh, places throughout the land. Almost as if, well, we, if Israel's doing it, we want to do it. 
We want to be like every other cool thing that's going on in the world here. We want to be like all the other nations. If Israel's doing it, why can't we do it here in Judah? Yeah, we got the temple. We have the priests. We'll keep that going too. But hey, let's participate in all these other things going on as well. And Rehoboam allows it. Rehoboam, it says in Second Chronicles, a uh, description of this uh, some of Rehoboam's life, it says he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. And this is the key in his life. He was Solomon's son. He came into the kingdom, remember, and he was kind of spoiled. He thought, oh, wow, Solomon, you thought my dad was a, a heavy tax load. Wait till I get my hands on your money. I'm going to be even tougher. He kind of came in very arrogantly, very spoiled, no real connection with the people. But as we find out, no real connection with the Lord. He, he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. At least Solomon began seeking the Lord and asking for wisdom. His son comes in without that, that balance, without that leadership, and without that godly connection and relationship with God. The nation turns. They do more evil than all their fathers, perverted persons. This, no doubt, would refer to some of the pagan worship in that time where there were temple prostitutes and just you know, just um, abominations that was part of the spiritual pagan culture and all the abomination of the nations that God had cast out. The reason God gave them the land was to rid the land of all this pagan worship and now they're embracing it. God's own people are now practicing these very things. He did not prepare his heart this is, an, again, I think just another good lesson for us to prepare our hearts. The Bible says it's out of the heart that flows the issues of life. He didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. There was something of a personal relationship with God that was lacking. We must purpose these things in our heart. We must maintain our relationship with the Lord. We must sow to the Spirit. You know, we love the Lord, but we also have to prepare our heart to seek the Lord. There is a, a certain cooperation from us in walking in relationship with the Lord. Now, we can't earn anything from God. We don't earn uh, favor. We don't earn mercy. We don't earn any grace. That all comes to us through the work of Christ. But our hearts must respond to it in faith. And these things are nurtured in prayer and grown through our sowing to the Spirit. And this is what keeps us on course for the long haul. This is what keeps us going I want to finish well. How about you? I don't want to just start. I mean, Rehoboam stepped into the wealthiest kingdom in the world, inherited the greatest nation on earth. But not very long from being away from God, we see things begin to crumble. Look now, verse 25. It happened in the fifth year of King Rehoboam that Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem, and he took away the treasures of the house of the Lord and the treasures of the king's house. Now, we, we know from reading Solomon, that was a lot of treasure, right? Silver was like, you know, gold was like rock. Silver was not even important. All of it, all of it, he took away everything. 
He also took away all the gold shields which Solomon had made, verse 26, then verse 27. Then King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place and committed them to the hands of the captains of the guard who guarded the doorway of the king's house. And whenever the king entered the house of the Lord, the guards carried them, then brought them back into the guard room. Now the rest of the acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Judah? And there was war between Rehoboam and Jeroboam all their days. So that civil war between the north and south was, there was skirmishes all the while. Verse 31, so Rehoboam rested with his fathers, was buried with his fathers in the city of David. His mother's name was Namah and Ammonitus. Then Abijam, his son, reigned in his place. Imagine all of Solomon's wealth gone in five years after his death. All of it taken bronze shields put in their place, almost as if Rehoboam was trying to keep up some semblance of royalty. It was, the gold was gone, the silver was gone. They resulted to bronze. Listen to this commentator, a man by the name of Christopher Knapp. He writes this about this text. Rehoboam made in their stead shields of bronze, and with these pathetically try to keep up former appearances. It is like souls who, when deposit, despoiled of their freshness and power by the enemy, laboriously endeavor to keep up an outward appearance of spiritual prosperity, or like a fallen church, shorn of its strength and robbed of its purity, seeking to hide its helplessness and cover its nakedness, with the tinsel of ritualism, spurious revivalism, and anything that promises to keep them some appearance. It seems that Rehoboam became something of a pretender. As the glory of the kingdom was stolen away, he kept up pretenses, kept trying to run and rule the kingdom, but it turned to compromise, it turned to sin. Rehoboam was this spoiled king who did not take seriously or prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Jeroboam was a man who took matters into his own hands and cast the Lord behind him. A tragic tale of two kings and their falling and their reign. First and second kings, as we go through, we'll continue to walk through the different kings. Some will be good in Judah. Some will be bad. All of them will be bad in Israel in the north. But it seems that in this closing, kind of that last commentary I read, you know, that, that can happen even in our spiritual lives. You know, for, for uh, Rehoboam, it w you probably could have heard him talking about, oh, the glory days of gold, right? Oh, when my dad was, you know, when I first got the kingdom, Oh, when all these shields were gold and everything glorious was something from the past, but now just shields of bronze and we have to kind of huddle them and hide them in the, in the treasury lest even those be robbed from us. I think spiritually, you know, we don't want to come to that place where it's always the glory years of yesterday. Oh, I remember when the Holy Spirit was just speaking to me so clearly. 
Oh, I can remember when the Lord used me in the, in the good old days. Oh, remember those things that used to be. I just, God, I pray that we never live in the past. Thank God for the past. But I think God wants to work now and moving forward. I want us to go from glory to glory. I want my life to grow. I don't want to become some old wineskin, unuseful, or, you know, some living in the, in the glory of the past and putting on pretenses to still seem spiritual today. No, Lord, I, I want it to be real. I want it to be alive. I want to keep my heart and prepare it to seek the Lord and stay close to the Lord. And that was David's secret, is that he always returned his heart to the Lord. No matter what the circumstance, no matter how far he had fallen, he always knew where to come back to the Lord. He did prepare his heart to seek the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. And that, that worship life, that devotion life, that true repentance life when it was needed kept him all the way to the end. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage tonight in First Kings. We see something of the tragedy of men whose hearts turn away from you. In one man's heart, he cast you behind. He just forgot about you. He just put you out of his life. He, he was busy being practical and taking care of business. And in another man, Lord, we see that he never prepared his heart to seek you. He just wasn't diligent in his devotion life with you. He kind of took it for granted, living on the spoils of yesterday. And God, I pray for our hearts here tonight. The greatest prophet of all is, of course, Jesus, who came and, and, and said, come to me and have life. Come to me and have rest. Come to me and receive mercy. Invite me into the, the heart. Invite me to have fellowship with you. Keep me present in your life, and you'll be blessed. But if you reject Christ, you're dead in your sins. You're lost. You're without hope. You have nothing but judgment to look forward, just as these kings who received word from the Lord. And so tonight, Lord, I pray that we would be serious about our own hearts, about our own walks, be encouraged tonight, Lord, to be sincere, to be quick to repent. Lord, not to wait till crisis to draw near, but to draw near to you even now. So let, Lord, when there is a storm, when the flood does come, we're already anchored. We're already close to the God who is our refuge and strength. And as our heads are bowed here tonight, I, I do want to give opportunity if there's anyone here tonight that needs to respond to the word of the Lord. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you, you need to be honest before God. Maybe you've cast him behind you. Maybe you're doing it your own way and your own strength. And God is speaking to you tonight and saying, listen, it, it's not too late you need to come to me and be honest and repent and turn your heart back to me. Allow me to not only forgive you, but to restore you in relationship and to put you back on the course and path that I've called you to. Maybe you're here tonight and, and that's, that's you. You need to 
You need to come clean with the Lord. You need to be honest. You need to come back to him right now. He knows. He knows. It's you that need to be honest. And I'd love to pray for you if that's your heart. Maybe you're here tonight and and for the first time you just need to come to the Lord. You've never received Christ, but you you know in your heart that you need him and you want that mercy. You, You believe that he died on that cross for you. He loves you. And you want to receive and ask him for forgiveness and come into your life. Love to pray for you. So if you're here tonight and you need to be honest with the Lord in this way, just as I've described, I would ask you just to raise your hand and I'm going to pray for you. Anybody here tonight? Hand in the very back there. A couple hands. God bless you. Anyone else? Over here on my, okay, in the left aisle there. Amen. Here up front. Amen. Just going to pray. The Lord knows, he sees, he wants us to know and see that he loves us, that he's calling out to us. These prophets, these, these words that were sent to these men, it was to bring them back into right relationship with him, God wanting to be merciful, God wanting to save, and even more so now for us because of Jesus, the mercy, the grace, the love. Anyone else, just before I pray for these, Raise your hand if you need to be included. Amen. And so, Lord, for these hearts responding to you tonight, I just pray that you would meet them with your love and with your grace. It says in the New Testament, Lord, that these stories that we have from the Old Testament are given for our instruction, that we have these things to to teach us. And there is lesson here tonight, Lord, a lesson for honest and sincere hearts before a true and living God, not to play games, not to be a pretender, not to hold on to some appearance of spiritual life when we know within there's a need. And so for these hearts tonight, I pray that they would just be sincere and say, Jesus, forgive me. Jesus, cleanse me. I love you. I want to prepare my heart to seek you right now. I'm asking you not only to forgive and to cleanse, but to really set my feet on a rock. Establish me again. I don't want to pretend. I don't want to play games with you. God, I want to go strong for you. I want to walk in the light and the love that you have for me. I'm receiving it right now by faith and believing, God, that you're going to not only cleanse and forgive, but, Lord, you're going to direct my steps. And that's where I want to be, in the light. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.